Philosophy. Descartes. Debate. The Mepropod. 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 The awesomest discussion podcast in the history of the human species. Oh, yeah! Let me tell you of an interview with an old man emu. He's got a beak and feathers and things, but the poor old fella ain't got no wings. Aren't you jealous of the wedge-tailed eagle? I'm better to da 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 Well, the eagle's flying round and round to keep my two feet firmly on the ground. Now, I can't fly, but I'm telling you, I can run the pants of a kangaroo. But I don't He can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can run the pants of a kangaroo. All right. In that case, welcome to the Mep Report, number 157. It is November 8th, 2018. We're back, people. We're back. We're here. And uh, yeah, the the gang is all here. What is going on, everybody? You missed. Yeah, the crew is here. As as we plod slowly into the future with more episodes that's we'll what we do stop. we're gonna be that's 70 what we do. the episodes crack. continue <laughs> <It's every five laughs> years. welcome to episode number one seven hundred we'll have a whole new numerical system that we use to actually count them up by now but um but yeah we're we're all here and we're actually uh so russ is still in california and i am still in new york but story has he has moved to a place that i think we all knew that you were going to be. I always had a feeling that when I thought of you, I thought the first place you would want to be in your life was West Virginia, and indeed that is well, that is yeah, where you've ended up. But yeah. you're you're in West Virginia, man. You're a mountaineer. How does it feel I, to be a mountaineer? I am. Yeah. There's only so much, you know, living, enjoying the alcohol and seafood in New Orleans that I can take. So had yeah. to shift gears. Um, yeah. So uh, West Virginia, it's uh, almost heaven. I hear. Uh, take me home, country roads to the yes. place I belong. Um, no, it's you fine. So I mean, do you very, feel like you belong there now? It's very pretty this time of year. It's uh, fall okay. colors and it's all very nice. There's uh, every like five feet is a cliff or a ravine or a giant hillside. <laughs> There's like no two moments that are the same elevation. Literally, uh, we have a next door neighbor, and you know these houses are not far apart. It's not like out in the countryside. I was about to say, you can just put a period there. We have a next door neighbor, and that in West Virginia yeah. is an uncertain thing. Right. I mean, right. And our our driveway starts at the same place, which is the road, and the end of our driveway is five feet higher than the end of their driveway. Like you could fit a person between there. No joke. And it's and you know it's a standard length driveway. Um. So that's it's just elevation change all the time. That's that's what it is. So. It's all about the mountaineering yeah. life. So is it? Is it? Uh, you know, and the reason you should tell the fine folks, by the way, why? Oh, yes. Why yes. you so are I'm West here Virginia. for a master's in fine arts in creative writing, creative nonfiction. Although I'm going to be studying some fiction as well, and um, I'm also teaching two sections of English 101 and uh, taking an incredibly dull pedagogy class. So that's, that's <laughs> some of it. That sounds like is my that graduate a, experience. Is that a class on teaching? It is. Class on and teaching? it's the most okay. poorly taught class I've ever taken in my life. So, you know, go figure. Um, no, I mean, it's I, it's taught fine. It's it's a, just a dull subject. It's not what I feel like I'm here to study. And it's all theoretical. That's the problem, right? So there are things about teaching that can be interesting if they are 
practical or experiential, but this is just all like the theory of teaching, which is clearly written by people who have never taught a day in their life. Who never actually teach, yes. Yeah. <laughs> this this was my experience coming to... Well, it's uh, just a theory. They don't have any real Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. If, they, if, if they had real experience, they'd have to give in the theory. And those who cannot theorize about... Theorize. That is 100% true, by the way, because the experience of educational, I mean, I hate to say this, but the educational theory is a bunch of people justifying their own existence. Like really, Mm. there's no, the the way to learn about pedagogy, you're going to be shocked about this. The way to learn about the teaching theory is uh, to teach. Like that teaching is really, and or, and or, and or learning from teacher mentors. That is extremely valuable because they're doing it, you know, like it's, Right. Like how many times, and, and this doesn't happen with anything else, by the way, do we have anything where people like sit around and they're like, you know, I want to talk about the finer points of carburetors, like not actually changing carburetors, but like the theory behind carburetting. Like if you think about carburetors, there's filters, right? And what, like our life is a filter. Like what is, nobody does this. Like if they want you to learn about carburetors, they give you a goddamn carburetor. Like why, why, why do these know? cars borate? And <laughs> what, what is our role in the carbur part of the rating? Like, what are there you know? trees? There's arbor in there somewhere, yeah. or trees involved. And even the theory itself, you, so, like once established, the theory itself might even be useful in some abstract way. But the problem is, is that anything that devolves into a level of scholarship, it becomes not just about the existing theory, but you have to add and tweak and somehow change the theory. And have it evolve. Yes. And that really is just justifying its existence. So it's like, now I know you've been taught that the fuel tank is for fuel, but have you considered other possible uses for the fuel tank? It's like, you know, <laughs> make the car explode. No. It could hold sugar. This. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's it's that level of like abstraction that really ends up coming around to like ninety eight percent of the time, like, oh, our, our previous theory was correct because like we've all learned from it. Well, that's how they do it, right? They recycle it so that every 10 years, they're actually, the cycle's about every 20 years. So every 20 years they return to the one that happened 20 Mm. years before Mm. that. So there's really only two theories and they just alternate. Yeah, they just go back and forth so that you never really, you know, you don't, you don't realize long enough. So um, have that, that's, that's interesting to me. You, how many people are in the class that you are taking on this pedagogy class? Uh, like 20-ish, students? 18, something like that. It's all the new, um, the new MAs, PhD students and MFAs in the English department. And like the MAs and PhDs kind of like it because like this is what they're doing with their life anyway. Uh, the MFAs, we are miserable. We are. This is okay. I want, to, I want to be clear about this. A place for um, creative folks. As a PhD, yes. As a person who got a, both an MA and a PhD, I I did not like this. Fair enough. Either. Fair I, enough. Because I had already done it. I already had teaching experience by the time I got mm, to that point. You know? Yeah, so that, I didn't, that definitely hurts. I was like, not. That definitely hurts the experience. Yeah, it helps it to was, be totally freaked out by the idea of teaching to enjoy this class. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. Then they're like, "Thank God, I can <laughs> hold on to this." Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, as, an, exactly. as a debate well, coach, so it, now it's not so fun. I'm always curious about. Yeah, exactly. You don't know. I mean, yeah. what do you know about teaching right. people things? Um, so I'm always curious about like how how you come across. Like, do you ever try to? Do you notice other students trying to sound smart in the process of talking about these things that terrify them? Like, do they? They come up with stuff and like, you know, I find that what you're suggesting about the mm. process of grading really assessment both is and is not about assessment. And, uh, you know, like, do, do you ever feel on things where you're like, you know, my bullshit meter is off the charts? And no, you are not, I mean, I, you know, you we're know? all even even the people who like the class a little more find it a little more relevant. Like we're all kind of 
suffering together to a certain extent. So nobody's really like nobody. You know, there, what I like about this program, there's not a lot of pretension to it. So there's not a lot of that like competition or what. Maybe we realize we're all in West Virginia, so like, come on. Um, but <laughs> you know, how, 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 come on now. But uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 pretty much a like everybody soldiers on together. And then there's one guy who's really outspoken and is like actually kind of obnoxious, but just like, he just calls bullshit on everything. And he's just like, he's just like all of us try to pretend and like kind of play along. And he overtly like very loudly tries to disrupt everything basically. And is like, Uh. yeah, I think this is all garbage. And this is all just something we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better at night. And blah 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 blah. But he's also like missed a lot of classes and like walks out in the middle of class for twenty minute breaks and like he's just like he's basically going through his middle school phase in his early thirties, from what I can tell. So, is this an MFA? Uh, no, he's uh, he's actually a PhD student. Apparently, there was some controversy about it. He's not part of his disgruntledness is he's like a third or fourth year PhD student, and he somehow escaped this class initially. He got, like, some sort of exception or exemption, and he thought it would last his whole time, but now in year four, they've made him go back and take it, so he's hashtag real bitter. So, yeah. Oh, which is why which is why he gets away mm-hmm. with walking out in the middle of I think things. So, like, is yeah. he some... Is he some like Wunderkind where you get the impression that like he's the fair haired boy and that's why you can get no, away with this business? No, no, like... he's he's like actively makes people upset. I mean, I think he like he almost got kicked out of the class, uh, from what I can tell. But he's oh. he's uh, he's a little bit of a troublemaker. Um, but like, wow. but I think yeah, I also think they like are going to lengths to not like fail out a fourth year PhD. So I don't know. This guy like, sounds like someone we should have as a guest on the show. Uh, like, yeah, maybe I'll ask <laughs> like, him on. Yeah. And say that our podcast uh, is renegade PhD student. Yeah, yeah. renegade. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Doctor Renegade. Exactly. Um, can I can I just go refer to him as Doctor Renegade? So he is not a true blue mountaineer. Like he he is not a. Or maybe he is. They have a kind of a rebel spirit. Yeah, about it's them. true. It's true. That's true. Does he ever say something to the effect like he'll say, this is nonsense, sir, and I find you to be thoroughly disreputable. <laughs> and then he takes his corncob pipe and does it is it one of those deals? No. Not exactly. No. <laughs> I'm so disappointed by the <laughs> renegades in West Virginia then. That's true. It's not at all the image I had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh it's like, you know, I mean it's 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 nicer than I would have expected. I mean, we're also like we're eight miles from the border with Pennsylvania, so we're not like in deep, deep Appalachia, West. I mean, it is very Appalachian, right. I guess. I guess the Appalachians extend to Pennsylvania, but it's not like you know, it's not like we're in the middle of the state in some total backwater. We're an hour and a half from Pittsburgh. We take advantage of that fact frequently. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you should. You should take advantage of that to go see the best team in football. That would be uh, my yeah. Uh, suggestion. Yeah, fair enough. They're playing right now, playing the Panthers as we speak. No, um, so so that's okay. So then you have the pedagogy class. Now, now the the one hundred and one. Now I'm curious about this. So you, I know that you, uh, I know that it, it starts at a very reasonable hour, and you you, you <laughs> get to teach at a very reasonable middle of right. the day, <laughs> um, reasonable hour. But no, what is it? So so tell me about the te- like. What is it like teaching the one hundred and one? Uh, the little mountaineers, you know, the mini fun. mountaineers. It's been fun. It's like um, I mean, we don't have a lot of control over the curriculum, which uh, especially initially was kind of a, a point of contention for me. Um, but you know, I've I've grown into it. I've found a way to kind of make the set curriculum my own. When I first heard we had a 
textbook for teaching English, I kind of cringed and I was like, oh boy. Um, you know, and it's not my favorite. There's some example essays in there that are kind of like deliberately not great. So they're more accessible and you can kind of work on editing right. and stuff. And that's like interesting. Um, it's designed around a portfolio where the kids are expected to be constantly revising. So I've been in the fun and interesting position of teaching revision without actually knowing how to do it myself. Um, awesome. So that, that's good. Yeah, that's where the theory comes in. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's I seem to be unmoored. Well, have you considered Lacan? Right. <laughs> this, this works for someone else. Uh, so My teacher's manual says, right. read what you've already written with a critical, <laughs> ugh. Oh, no. no. What is that? Yeah. So, But it says it in French. Right. Yeah, I struggle with that. Oh, but um, but other than that, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy, that's one of the parts of my day. It's a lot of work. Uh, just the grading. I have 42 kids <laughs> across the two classes. And so there's Indeed, a lot of like sir. reviewing and we're not even supposed to grade a lot of their stuff. Like we call it grading, but it's not grading. It's like giving feedback because the whole focus is on revision and improvement. So they only get grades at midterm and final on their midterm portfolio and final portfolio and all of their papers, even though they have writing due every week, none of it's graded. It's all like, here's what to work on for revision and here's what you're doing well. So, which, you know, I'm, I'm, being won over by that process. I think it's good. I think enough people are grow up kind of scared of writing that this makes it a little more accessible. Um, and I've tried to make it fun. We just had debate week last week. We brought in a whole little debate unit where they prepared and they did. What a shock. They did uh, counterintuitive speaking drills and uh, then they did a little debate. They got to pick their own topics. So, you know, only one of the two classes did marijuana legalization. So that was, that was pretty mm. good. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was fun. That's interesting. Um, but I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. You know, the kids are, I can't tell if kids have changed since we were kids or it has something to do with the institution or the state, but like I've read enough things from other sources that I think there may be a generational shift that like college age kids are just, they're just more tentative. They're a little more shy and afraid and more tentative than, I don't know if you find that to be the case in your classes, Greg. Um, Not with my kids. I, yeah. I have to say no. I haven't. I don't know. Okay. I, maybe it's. Uh, but you know, when I was teaching at UConn, though, when I was going to UConn and teaching mm -hmm. at your one on one, like you are, I have to say they were quieter than my St. John's and, frankly, my BU and my Brandeis students mm -hmm. actually. So I wonder if it's maybe like it's a big state partly school a state thing. school yeah, thing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But they just they they're very afraid of being wrong, and like so much of both the curriculum and what I'm trying to do with them is aimed around like. Write about whatever you want. Make your own rhetorical choices. Like, choose your own direction and justify it. And they're like, but what's right? What do you want? And I'm mm -hmm. like, I want you to just write. Write the Great Gatsby and hand it right. in. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. When you say direction, uh, what direction right, exactly. would you like that to so. be? North or south? Yeah. You're like, no, I don't. That's interesting. So yeah, you so you you don't have, so you have no problem with like you don't really have most kids that you have to rein in. Your issue is more about like getting them to. Open yeah, up, I have one kid right? who I have to rein in, um, and he <laughs> is, but he's kind of a fire starter in kind of a good way. Like I have a soft spot for him. He's like very he's very difficult. He he just he's but he's also very smart, and so but he has no idea whether he's about to say something brilliant or totally useless. So he will like just he will shout out like everyone else like follows, you know, directions, raises their hands, asks to go to the bathroom, for God's sake. And like, 
you know, and he just like shouts out like six or nine times in class. And like, no doubt, at least one of those every class, this is in my 9am class, at least one of those in every single class is the smartest thing that anyone has said, like in the entire class by far. Uh, and I'm like, wow, that was really insightful. And then like, one of them is the most off topic, like completely like irrelevant like is it, using about his life and I'm, it's like a high stakes right Tourette's yeah and is what we're talking like, about okay it's well, a, yeah, it's like, uh and sorry so did you did you say it was a 9 a.m class uh yes i teach at 9 a.m and 10 a.m i now wake up at five in no. the morning uh when i used to well, go to bed last year i now oh wake God. up so my well what i was gonna say is um, i i had a math teacher in high school who thought that i was an incredibly quiet kid because i had her class at 8 a.m. Oh, in the morning, enough. and I was basically <laughs> sleeping. I have taught the 8 a.m. comp basically class. That is a nightmare. Yeah. So that could be that could be part. That's of it probably too. that's a good point. That's probably a big factor. Yeah, you hope that you get kids well, who the real question, chose that time, but often they got that time chosen for them because they registered last. Yeah. So then they're extra tentative. Yep. So do you now? So do you now? Do you have any issue where the kids? As the as the kid shouts out for the sixth time, do you have other kids around them that are like, "I will now destroy oh, yeah. you"? Yeah, like, no, 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 no. They're, they're definitely like, you do not want this kid. He no. is he is everyone else's least favorite student. Um, but I try to. I don't know. I have a soft spot for him because he just does occasionally, and they can acknowledge like when he does say something really helpful. Like you, you can kind of see the like light bulb go on for everybody. It's like, wow, that was. That was really cool. So, but then it also gets, it actually gins up a lot of like my 9am is notably more active than my 10am largely, I think because of his presence, because then they get kind of fired up and they're like, well, I'm going to say something because he's wrong about this or he just interrupted me. And I'm like, all right, now we have a discussion. Good. So the conflict is kind of... That's interesting. So all you need to do is have him, like, occasionally... Can you just have him stay over, like, five minutes into your 10 right. a.m. and then just shout out <laughs> Oh, that would be a great fire start, like, yeah. just, You know, the truth is, like, Kierkegaard is, didn't know what he was talking about, bastard, and then walk out or something, and everyone's like, what? Yeah. Who? What a yeah. scintillating discussion that must have been. I should really pay attention <laughs> in this class. <laughs> Yeah, like he just waits for people to get in, then he just stands up. He goes, "Blow it out your ear," and walks yeah. out. Like you're like, "Wow, that's really insightful." Um, okay, well that's so. Now that's see, hmm, that's interesting. Have you have you spoken to him separately and been like, "Listen, if you could just like reduce the stupid stuff and just stay oh, yeah. with the smart no, stuff." Like, that, it, like how have you? I've had that, that conversation with him, and he's 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 pretty strident. He's got a pretty strident like self image and self perception. He's like, "Yeah, I." I just say whatever I think. I never know if it's good or not, but I'm going to keep doing that. I'm like, well, all right. <laughs> I can't stop you. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, part of this this year has also been learning can't not you? to like to try really hard not to power struggle with people because, um, you know, like things that, like just stupid stuff about like people being on their phones and like whatever. And it's just like I. Mm. I've done enough power struggling with students in my life, like going back to when I was a counselor in a group home and stuff. And I'm just like, you know what? I've, I kind of resolved at the beginning of the semester. I'm like, if it's not creating, and in some cases his does, I guess, but if it's not like creating a major impediment for other students, I'm just going to kind of try to let it go and like not, you know, because if you blow some of this stuff up, I mean, I, you know, sometimes you can redirect kids or prompt them a little bit, but if they're going to consistently be late, even with redirection or consistently be on their phone or whatever. It's like, okay, you get to do that. That's you fine. Should, uh, I'm you not should, gonna you force should stream, you. You should stream your lectures on Twitch so they can watch you on their phone if they don't want to look up. 
That's a great idea. You know how many people I've gotten to have been like, you know, do your do you ever stream your election on Twitch? And I'm like, no, because I would lose my job. And they're like, they're like, wait, why? And I'm like, because people, there's this concept called paying tuition and people pay to go to my class. Um, they don't, you don't, you know, like what if it's well, an online yeah, course? I'm like, then it wouldn't like, be offered like through Berkeley Twitch. and a number of other schools, MIT, they have a bunch of free courses that are just up online of their, uh, you know, various Sure, things. but they're free and they say so. And my courses are not. Oh, apparently no, no, free. I don't. I don't I mean, mean I that they're free they, for the okay. students in the video where you're watching and they're sitting. They're the ones going to class, but then they the university broadcasts it after the fact. You know, puts it on a YouTube. Oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess as a, right and as sort of an after the fact thing. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's true. Um, do you? So in general, you've had this. So I, I'm so okay. You you've been doing that. But what about the now the writing side of things? Have you been favorably impressed with some of the writing talents of your fellow students in the MFA program? Yes, I have. I have uh, across the board. Oh, uh, I've not been favorably pause. impressed by how much. That was quite a pause. Huh? No. Well, you literally roboted oh. out story. So we just heard this complete <laughs> like, silence. Mm, from impressed? Like I wouldn't say And impressed. Russ and I were like, okay, <laughs> well. Uh, Next question. Pick any other word. I think you've said all you need That's to say. That's funny because I was like very emphatic of yes, uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> it's just like yeah. I thought you were like I've got to no, think about how to no. say this. It's no, yeah, I've been, I've right. been, okay, so I've been very impressed thing. by the the talent of my peers. I have been very unimpressed by the design of the program to facilitate actual writing as opposed to reading and working on pedagogy classes and grading papers. But um, you know, ah, I I've okay. noted to almost everyone in the program like. It's going to be really ironic that I spent the two years before I was in a writing program writing much more than the years that I spent in a writing program. So that has been that's been really the biggest uh, disappointment. But no, I've been uh, no workshop is great. Workshop is, is the best part by far, and uh, it's and I you know across the board I would say my peers are are super engaged, super talented, and have good stuff to say. And, and apparently we got a good one. Apparently the fiction workshop is like super quiet and is like my 9 a.m. English class, but like creative nonfiction workshop, like you have, it's hard to get a word in edgewise. Like everybody's tripping over each other to talk. So it's pretty good. Nice. How many people are in the, uh, uh, the nonfiction? The so my workshop has 12, but we have one poet and one fiction writer who are out of genre, um, and then there's one in genre third year who's not in the workshop this year. So I guess we have 11 across the three years. So you have 11 there, because the poet and the fiction writer are, I assume, shunned uh, and kept in isolation yeah, booths. Absolutely. So it's not no. To... Um, you're actually required in this program to take at least one out of genre workshop, and uh, I'm in a little bit of a fight Good. with the program trying to get in the fiction workshop for next semester, but we'll see how that pans out. I was... They normally don't do things by seniority, but we have a new department head who's like trying to do everything by seniority. So um, I don't know. I may or may not get my wish, but because I'm trying to do two workshops next semester because workshop is like the thing I really love about the program. I'm like, let's just do workshop all the time in all the genres. Except so what are the genres that are offered as workshops? Oh, just like uh, what, nonfiction, what, fiction, what are genres? and poetry. Yeah, I see. Okay, so you're just gotcha. So you're doing the thing. So what about and and the what about the instructors that you're working with that are doing the writing to the extent that they are? Well, so we had kind of a 
<laughs> it's a funny start to the year. We had kind of a crisis at the beginning of the year um, because so our normal complement of staff in the program is six people. Uh, and we currently have two, which is a little shy of six uh, for those of you scoring <laughs> what? at home. So um, the... Well, you got there and they were like, all right, right. I mean, there's no yeah, need exactly. to... Yeah, exactly. They're you like, can you, can you teach right. a workshop? Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one of the two fiction professors went kind of crazy. And, and I this would be talking out of school, except like every time that there's a report on his mental health or a fight, part of his fight with the school, he leaks it immediately to the press. So it's like super well documented online. He's actually who I voted for for West Virginia Senate. Um, uh, or Senator of West Virginia, because I couldn't vote for Joe Manchin, which is a whole other issue. But um, so he was running, he like started running an impromptu like write in campaign for Senate. And then like there were issues with his mental health and he was missing for like two and a half days. And then he turned up and like almost got arrested. And there were all these things. And he's a, this is apparently not the first series of run ins like this he's had with the university. So he was suspended pretty unceremoniously uh, right at the beginning of the school year. And then he immediately sent, like, he immediately leaked his suspension letter to the press and then sent a big protest email to all the staff and students in the English department. And then started replying all to every English department email, of which there are, like, eight per day, with really snarky, sarcastic oh, nice. remarks. I love guys like uh, this. So that's a good way there to you go. That. Yep, yep. So he's not here. Uh, then <laughs> one of the poets uh, was... On, was on a scheduled sabbatical. She's been running the program for like the last five years. So she handed over the reins to the fiction person who is here. And then she went on a scheduled sabbatical. But then the other poet had left. And so they just had to have a new hire come in. And they were going to have the fiction guy who went crazy teach the poetry workshop. But he wasn't available anymore. So they had to like rush the hiring of the new person and have them teach the first semester, which they usually don't like to do. Then the two nonfiction professors who are a married couple... Um, they had a baby together, and there were complications, and so they took a medical leave very suddenly um, that I had no idea about when I got here. And I started talking about, like, oh, which of them is teaching the workshop? And they're like, neither of them. I'm like, uh, someone could have told me that. So we have a journalism professor teaching our nonfiction workshop, um, which is fine. He's pretty accomplished, and he's taught. He's written a few Journalism books. is technically nonfiction. Huh? Hopefully, yeah, is it technically? yeah, it is. It is exactly. source you're coming. Yeah. Not very creative, right. though. It's not very creative, creative though. Um, like, but you know. he's, but yeah. Story, you're learning right. from an enemy. Yeah, of people. Exactly. That's awesome. Exactly. Should, so yeah, so when he's yeah. not getting shot by Trump, he's pretty good. Um, yeah. So so yeah. Right. So it's been it's been fine, but it was like very discombobulating at first. Um, so some people should be trickling back. I guess we're hiring a new fiction person, and uh, nobody knows who that's going to be, but. But yeah, and our nonfiction people should be trickling back. At least one of them's listed as the professor of record for next semester. So yeah, so things will things will rebuild. But it was kind of an awkward time for us to come in. And uh, all of the first year MFAs in the three genres, there are eight of us, and we all like we all get along really well, and we all like bonded a lot at first, which apparently doesn't always happen. But um, but we all kind of have been gossiping about this of like, wow, this was a this was a really crazy time to come into this program with all this transition. So yeah, it's been good. Interesting. I mean, like you say though, that is going to make for a pretty good, like 
long long term it's going to be better right it's going to be the kind mm-hmm. of stuff that i you always you're always really good at <laughs> and being able to write about stuff like this by the way congratulations because uh for those of you who don't know listening to within the sound of my voice you should go to the montana mouthful um where story has recently uh published a uh soon to be um you know surprise winning <laughs> award winning i have no I, doubt um, let's not get their hopes you know, essay um but yeah, but there's a yeah. story there. No, the no, that's, that's my job. Hopefully many to be published uh, from Driving for You behind the wheel of a New Orleans Uber, which um, nobody wanted to buy in full, but I'm hoping will be more marketable now that I'm A, in an MFA program, and B, I'm getting some of these things published by journals, which was something I didn't try for the first year and a half. I don't really know why. Um, so yeah, so that's that's happening there's two more publications pending one is online only and one is i think primarily in print but there might be an online thing also uh and then a fourth one that i'm working out revisions with that we'll see the negotiations for the revisions it it may fall through they may want me to change too much but but we'll see so yeah so that's been well congrats that's awesome thank you yeah congratulations man I am. I have no doubt about it. I mean, I you know, I know that one of the things that you know, obviously your your writing talent was very limited, and I think once you started with the MEP report, yeah, uh, well, really you know. improved you know your talent. So that really changed things when because of our you extensive really provided writing the theory that we me. do. You know, uh, before I was just <laughs> well, there was no pedagogy. <laughs> I always thought that you were going to become a pro Photoshop guy, but that was just me based on your years yeah. and years of uh, creative artwork. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, never put much that's true. in the writing, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that's awesome, and and story continues his his meteoric rise up the writing ranks. And in the meantime, uh, Russ is continuing his meteoric rise up the improv ranks, basically uh, as LA continues. So, how's how's the life of LA? In case anyone's curious, why I'm asking these questions, it's because it's been some months, and I wanted to make sure we're all clear about where oh, we stand. Yeah. Here in November. <laughs> Lives are moderately different than they were. Yeah, right. yeah, well, just yeah. a little bit, you know. Um, yeah. So, so what's up? Good. I, I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to the mainstream of being an LA acting person, which is kind of surreal and strange. Um, you know, I have an agent who's like a real agent and they send me on stuff and I go do things. And I, I did like a Toyota commercial a couple of weeks ago, a couple of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, again, this is another one of those typical right story. He's just like, Oh yeah. And I did a commercial Toyota. No big deal. Whatever. National. Is fine. Sorry, I have to mute myself because I have a munchkin doing running around like a maniac. That was another one of those pregnant silences where you're like, I can't talk about yes, it. Yes, I've How already said too much. <laughs> there was an NDA. Um, uh, no, it was great. But yeah, no, tell it, it was How, great. How I got I, I went in for one role. They needed me as like a placeholder to read for another role. I got called back for that second one that I was the placeholder in. And then just for shits and giggles, they called me back while I was already there to read for the first one. And then they're like, we booked you for both. You're the mailman and the douchebag at the barbecue. And I'm like, is that a thing? You do that? (laughs) And I'm like, that's that's, okay, great. So I, I played, you know, kind of a straight in a straight absurd setting as like a soothsaying mailman. And then I played an absurd in a... The worst guy at the barbecue. So it was really fun. Are they the same commercial? No, they're little vignettes for like a tire savings event. So they're all like, 
every commercial has a dumbass who tried to fix his tires by himself uh, and a wise person who went to the Toyota tire savings <laughs> event. And, so, and you're the dumbass. So I got to be the dumbass in one and the wise person in the other one. And so that was for my, you know, comedy chops. That was really fun. Nice. That's good stuff. Um, so did, and like, what is this a local Toyota or net? Or I don't know. I mean, I'm not getting paid very much. It's non-union, but that hasn't stopped things that I've been in from being like widely distributed <laughs> after they didn't pay me very much. So I, <laughs> uh, really he said with no bitterness in his voice. I think that's funny. Um, yeah. So I get the, like, it's very surreal. It's very surreal being on a set and having clearly hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of jobs and equipment and production value. And you're ostensibly the center of this thing. Cause I'm like, you know, the main character in all of these things for the day that we're shooting. And you're like on that day, you're like, well, if they were paying me 10 times as much, nobody would blink an eye and it would be totally normal because clearly this very expensive, you know, production is, is dependent on my acting. But then that day ends and then you go back to regular life and you're like, where do I, how do I contextualize? Like, who am I? Am I an actor? Am I just, did I just do a job? I don't understand what, what happened. So. But it gets you, I mean, it'll set you up for everything. I assume it starts there and then more and more car, you know, car companies. Eventually you're doing that. It gives you confidence. And yeah. And I feel, you know, I go into auditions very confident because mostly it's still non-union auditions. And I feel like it's very easy to outcompete non-union actors. No offense, non-union actors, but like you know, they're not union. So why why have you not done union stuff? Um, I'm eligible, but basically, so besides you like so I have scab. the choice. I, mean, I, I like do like lines, yeah. But. I just I'm in general against labor unions. You guys know this. I'm a big fan. <laughs> uh, no, I I well first the thing is you have to fork over like three grand to SAG, and to right. join because I'm eligible to join, and then your reward for handing over three grand is that you never get a job ever again because you're not a name that anyone has heard of. You're not a recognizable actor. You're not a celebrity. And so you don't get called in for SAG jobs unless you already have a resume preceding you. So that's kind of the problem. So you, you kind of uh, need to... How, how do you get this you non-union work. You, get the resume you have to do free work, okay. student films, get paid... A, I mean, some non-union jobs are like really lucrative, but they're still not the same as getting you know paid SAG scale. Or like like the Air Vocalist, very lucrative. Incredibly. Like, get channel. my PayPal like, right the next day. It's badass. <laughs> yeah, it's very badass. consistent. Um yeah, so that you know, so for me it would not be advantageous to do that because but but you know, assuming that I book something or other that, you know, gets me some some steam or some momentum in somebody's perception, then I guess and, and then of course if I do there's a point where if I do a, enough union jobs, they just force you to join and they don't give you a choice and they're like, You're barred for life if you don't. So at that point I will if that happens. <laughs> wow. I see. All right. Well, I mean, you know, and this, this like continues to be alongside the Buzzfeed, you know, things that just happen. Yeah, things just happen. We, you know, Stephanie has been running this event at Comic-Con for years where she puts together all these nerdy performance groups for a day of uh, live theater performance at Comic-Con. This is LA Comic-Con, formerly Stanley's Kamikaze. And so this year they went to her and they're like, well, you've been running this thing for the whole weekend. How about we just give you a two hour block? And she's like, Oh, well that's no good. And they're like, but you'll be on the main stage of Comic-Con in the main room on a giant stage. She's like, Oh, so we got to do our Harry Potter improv. And then I also get to do my other uh, nerdy team, drunkards and dragons on the main stage of Comic-Con in front of the whole floor. And we were like 
broadcast on this giant 200 foot jumbotron screen. It was crazy, man. We were doing improv Gotta with go. wireless mics in our hands. It was like the least theatery possible <laughs> like activity that we could be doing is that we're doing wow. space work with a wireless mic in our hand. I mean, it was fine. I think one set was good and the other one was kind of passable, but it was like hoping for audience. You know, these stages are built for concerts and bands and we're trying to do like improv with the crowd 30 feet below us on the floor where you can't even hear them laughing and interact with them. So it was very, it was very odd. You just have to hope so. You're like, I think I see smiles. Yeah, I see smiles, it was, it was like that. It was, you hear chuckles kind of far away. Um, it was like that, but it, it was also the kind of thing where like, well, I guess it's better to have done this than to not have done this. <laughs> so, Resounding that's how I feel about it. That is a rigging endorsement. Yeah. The rigging endorsement. I think it is better to yeah. have done this than I not to have done this. I think it's better to have done this. Um, so that did you see? Did you see my uh, my bug commercial? Where I was a bug. Did you guys see that? One? No, I I remember. No, I never see anything until I talk to you, and then you're I like, oh, oh yeah, I helped you read yeah. for that for God's sake. Yeah, you did. You helped me when I was going to audition for that, and then I booked it, and it became like the first like totally legit commercial that I ever shot. Um, and it was for. It was for an insurance company, but it was co-branded with Paramount. I'm putting it in the Discord yeah, chat. Yeah, I want to see this. Thing. We'll have a link on that website. Um, oh, I, I closed, I closed my. Oh Discord God, over. I'll put um, it in the whatever. Does this have a chat room? This thing. Oh my gosh! Look at you. No. Um, just... Send, send. I'm a bug. So uh, it was co-branded with the Paramount Network, which is a network that just shows like old classic movies. So the conceit was that. It's a B movie, like a B sci-fi movie from the 1950s. And I play a mad scientist who accidentally turned himself into a bug, like a Jeff Goldblum-like, I guess. Uh, and so that's the, that's, and so I got, we got to do this really campy, you know, over the top 50s performance thing. And now, oh, now we'll just wait for you guys to watch it while we're podcasting, which is great <laughs> for audio. <laughs> this is tremendous like tremendous radio um we will we will watch this at a later date so wait story you helped russ yes, read for we were this hanging what is this out now? and playing when, poker like... online and he was like hey do you want to read something i have an audition tomorrow and i was like sure of course and he sent me the script and i read as the woman who is the foil to his mad scientist fly being that's awesome um, and then he was like like a day or two later he was like yeah i got the part um, and I felt I felt like I was a little part of this Hollywood success story that yeah. uh, has been for us super yeah super helped great. nice super helped nice I've always imagined you as being uh, the the woman role in a 1950s science fiction you know, film yeah, commercial story too. I've always felt like that was your niche for sure um, yeah, yeah I mean hey I took an online <laughs> quiz just the other day that said I was female so as they all always do so you know works out yeah as they always do every everyone's dream is uh another hollywoody thing that happens is so the the people who made this commercial were very happy with it the director's like this is the best thing i've ever done in my life really the the client the insurance company was happy yeah he was just like super stoked about it also the woman that i'm in it with is like super talented and she just booked another national commercial and she's like a professional opera singer and she's like stupidly talented um but so the the producer felt bad that my face isn't in it and in the entire time, I'm just either in a potato sack or a bug head the entire, the entire time. And so he's like, well, I'll book you another stuff in the future. And I feel like that's just something people say, especially in Los Angeles. And then you never hear from them again for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. Um, because 
like this other thing that I just booked this Toyota thing. They're they're also like, I was like, oh, the rate's pretty low for you know having two different roles that I'm playing on it. And they're like, well, we're gonna use you a whole bunch because we like you. I'm like, well, that's that's a thing to say. That's nice. Oh, I, I was waiting. I was waiting for you to be like the punchline. Is the punchline is really possible that it was too recent. I mean, maybe these things yeah, happen exactly. on like five-year timescales. Like, I don't know how this shit works. So, you know, maybe it could still happen. Right. It's a long-term approach. I don't know. How, it depends on how much... I, I like to assume that Hollywood is either like your experience or like showgirls. Yeah. So I figure it's one of those both, two probably. things is true. And Yeah. So... Um, yeah, but things are good. You know, just doing a lot of improv in various places. And the Harry Potter team just went to Vegas. And then we went to Cedar City, Utah to do a festival out there which was beautiful never been to utah across that state off the list um and oh and well there's other news too which is oh that, okay. um, yes. there's another another guberman is coming. ah there's so, something about uh, the way you said there's other news that i was like i know what this is congrats yep. Awesome. yep exactly i had the same congratulations thank you, thank you. so that's uh expecting in april ish around that time nice and wow. uh, I'm just going to go ahead and buy a four bedroom house in LA in the meantime. All right. Because well, we need lots more. Right, I was going to say, like, that'll, commercial that'll, be, that'll be good stuff. That, so I'm sure you're fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. That, that's the benefit of the non union pay scale is that uh, you just get immediate money for four, four bedroom houses. Put a homes. Toyota logo um, outside the house. I'd be totally fine with that. <laughs> just put us, get us in. Well, there. I mean, at this point, you could. I mean, Lulu already has connections. So you can just put her to work now. I assume, like she's she's had enough. Like she's almost. Yeah. Maybe you should so name your second her, child you know, and... Toyota, and then you could actually get. Oh, that's the money. money. That's a good yeah. idea. <laughs> that's a good idea. Well, I mean, I know that that you've talked before about you guys have plans for you know more than two kids. So I would say this first one should be Toyo, and then Ta is is next. That way you get paid half up front. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to pay you for right, your exactly. son toy. That doesn't mean anything. Driven yeah, by half. Lulu, Lulu Toyota. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Quote, to quote to quote Stephanie, she says she wants a baseball team. So we'll see how how close we can get to that. <laughs> Before, uh, how about close you can get to it before getting the before bedroom house? I have this image of you being in the same apartment with nine kids and just like you come on, you're like, "Hey guys, what?" And there's just like sirens and noise yeah. in the background. Like Daddy lives on the deck. <laughs> he just sits in a chair by himself on the deck. He's seated the rest of the apartment to everybody else. Oh goodness, yes, I suspect that is true. Wow. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's milestones continue to happen uh so that's great man congratulations uh oh i should mention i'm uh podcasting on my brand new computer which i've named uh danny glover um do i want to yeah yeah, because i bought an awesome gaming laptop that's called the acer predator um so and then and then i bought it and then it died in a week and i brought it back to fry's electronics and they gave me another one so this is my second predator so it's Danny Glover because he was the star of All Predator right, who's 2. next? Yes. Who's next? Which is the only memorable part of that entire movie is the very end part. Um, but yes, well, congratulations on your new Predator gaming Thanks. laptop I'm- type of thing. Although I knew this because I saw Russ doing when you know, Russ does the uh, for my voice team stuff on my Twitch channel. And so then when he popped on, I'm like, wow, your, your, your camera is color corrected. Like it's, it looks like you and not a faded sepia, you know, version of, of Russ. Um, so I knew that something new had happened. 
uh, and it was this computer. And when you get a new computer, of course, you have to play all the video games that your old computer could never handle. So I'm currently playing true. through so Skyrim right now, which is my first oh, real no, fun thing. Not hey, Skyrim. Skyrim. Welcome so to the world. That's good because they're about to release fun. more copies. I love it so much. It's the best. Yeah, Skyrim's great. It's great. Yes, I, the fact that it's six years old does not phase me in the least. I did I ever did I ever tell you I like Skyrim my, a lot. My interaction with Skyrim. So Skyrim came out when uh, I was coaching the Rutgers team, and a lot of people on the Rutgers team were big into video games, and so they were like playing it constantly, and they constantly kept showing me, and I and and I just constantly had this argument of like, no, get it away, I don't want to see that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Did I ever tell you about this like three year period of my life? My memory is crazy because I was addicted to a game that was like that, except with way worse graphics and way less intriguing. And, um, and they were like, and they kept, they kept not getting like what was unappealing about it. And they were like, no, but look at this. It's like, it's a cut scene, but it's, it's, it's playable. And the graphics are that good. And I'm like, you, you misunderstand me. It's not that I think it is insufficiently good or unimpressive. Quite the opposite. Like, the more you tell me that it's good, the more I will not want to know. So, uh, I think the rule still applies. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I did check back yes. into the Wasteland of Dark Age as a, you know, part uh, par for the course. Yeah, I did that about did. three months um, ago for a month, mm-hmm. I think. How, how was it? Yep. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty empty. There was a little bit of RVR, and, and a bunch of people that I knew were still around, so we went oh, and slaughtered cool. a, you know, the remaining scattered few people on a <laughs> landscape. <Yeah. laughs> when I was um, on, I don't know the if graphics were true, but um, Hibernia had all six relics for a while, and I was like, what yeah. is this? This is, yeah. not the hi- this is not your father's Hibernia. So... Yeah, well, the, the four stalwarts who used to lose all the time are the only ones still right. playing on Hibernia. So now they're winning because yeah. they cared more. To la- they lasted 17 years, so they... They, they outlasted yeah. everybody. No, that's right. They outlasted um, everybody. There was actually a great um, video that I think I... I don't know if I forwarded you guys, but I wanted to, but it was... Um, there's a series on YouTube called, like, The Death of a Game, and this one is the Dark Age episode, and so I wanted meant to send it oh, to you that's guys. Cool. It's really great. It explains the whole evolution of oh, development cool. and of Dark Age. I have to say that I got um, I got for my birthday. I got myself. I've been thinking about it for a long time. A Nintendo Switch. Oh, um, yeah. And I have to say, you know, people can say whatever they like about Nintendo and about the, you know, they're not always don't always support third party games, or at least they didn't as much before this and whatever. But there is something about the fact that Nintendo just knows how to make game consoles that are interesting and that work. And this, the idea of this thing, which allows you to play on your, on your TV screen or whatever, and then pull it out and the exact same game is being played on the small screen that's in front of you and it's the exact same game and you can literally seamlessly go from one to another is pretty amazing. And what my daughter and I, what Senevita and I have been doing is playing on this cardboard thing. I'm sure you guys have seen this. Like it, it, it's literally, it's called Labo Cardboard. And so what it is is a box of cardboard, not even kidding, with this game in it and you plug it in and it basically allows you to build all this stuff out of out of cardboard like a fishing rod and like uh like like a you know a remote control car and all these things that just work and it, it's like it's beyond it's bizarre to me how well they handle this like how well it was done where it's like fascinating to see this stuff actually coming together my daughter and I are having a blast and I'm like they just know how to make it's cardboard and i I feel like if you did this with playstation you'd be like 
What kind of cheap bastards do Sony think we are? I know it's cardboard garbage, but you're Nintendo. You're like, Nintendo, they're geniuses. Like, yeah, it harkens back to I can't things like imagine. Paper Mario and, you know, things that have already existed. Yeah, like, it's just, it's cool. I, I don't know. And I've had a chance to play the Golf Story RPG, mm. which I'm here to tell <laughs> you is RPG. just as good as it sounds. Golf Story, oh it literally is a golf Could RPG. Could we make you, RPGs you duller than this that already? <laughs> you, you would, no, 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 no. This, this thing <laughs> is... This thing is not like that. This thing is amazing. There's there's a whole there's a place where you're literally trying to stop the hordes oh, of undead. You with get golf. a four it's iron off awesome. an orc. Congratulations! It's so good. It's so it's so good. The golf story was so good. And then um, the other one that I played was uh, that I just played was Axiom Verge, which is basically a modern day Metroid. Like it really is like Metroid. It was really well done with 6 million types of guns and equipment that allows you to get to like grappling hooks and teleporters and all this stuff. It was, uh, it was very, very neat. Um, and has a similarly like WTF story, not you story, but other story. Um, and, uh, but it's good. I really, I really liked it. So I'm, I've been very impressed. The switch is a good console. I I am. I've got a bunch of things queued up that I'm afraid. Like I'm toying with the idea of starting no man's sky, but my life might completely disappear if I did that. Yeah. Your life might disappear Uh, at that point. Yeah. Cause now all of a sudden, even that stupid, they have multiplayer Stardew Valley, you know? Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Space exploration. They have multiplayer Stardew Valley. You guys multiplayer Stardew Valley now. (laughs) Oh, I did like that. The golf game that we played. No, that's the farm game, but multiplayer. Uh, Yeah. Very exciting. Um, so they have that that's going on story. Do you have, have now that you're back yes. in the school environment, uh, I know you have to get up at five in the morning, but like, do you have any, like, or are there games that you're able to Not play? Since the like, program started. I played, as I said, I went back to the for about a month, um, just before my program was started when I was like moved in and like, didn't, you know, was just kind of exploring West Virginia, but didn't really know people or have much going on and it was kind of my reward i'd been like looking forward to that of like getting through everything from the move and after the whole application process and everything and i'm like i was on video game moratorium for so long while i was writing the uber book like um so i was like yeah i deserve to go back and play the cage for a while and then pretty much as soon as my program started i'm like f that back to the grind so um yeah i've been at kind of low tide for video games the last two years, probably at the lowest tide of my life, which I don't lament. Um, you know, I try to gamify other aspects of my life to uh, to make up for it. So, And I have been playing, we have been playing, I will say, uh, Alex and I have been playing a fair amount of live poker. We have been crushing this room that is uh, about halfway between here and Pittsburgh in Washington, Pennsylvania. It's a place called The Meadows. Um, really? If you're looking for... Some tur- some soft tournaments. Um, so they have in mm. Western Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> there is a huge, great tradition of poker tournaments, and there are two casinos. There's this one, and then one in downtown Pittsburgh that we haven't been to yet, in part because we like this room so much and it's really close to us. Um, that have twice a day tournaments all seven days of the week. There's an eleven fifteen and a seven fifteen uh, tournament wow. every day. And uh, so the first time that Alex and I went to this room, we kind of went up and it was the same kind of principle as me playing Dark Age. It's like, well, we just moved in. We got like we took the box truck around Pittsburgh and picked up all this Craigslist furniture. And we've been like working and sweating and doing all this crazy stuff like we deserve a break. So we went up on like a Monday afternoon to this tournament and it was a small turn. You know, it's like 35 
40 people or something. When you have twice a day tournaments, it's not that big. And we chopped. We were both in the four-way chop for the tournament. So wow. that, you know, and like when you can both be in a chop, like you're making some good money. So, you know, it was like a... You took half of the whole Yeah, we took half first. the whole tournament, and it was probably a $1,200 prize pool or something. You know, so it's like, okay, That's well, great. this this works. Wow. Like, we can we can do this. Um, and then we went back. So we've, we've now... I don't think I realized that Alex was that much of yeah, a poker. Yeah, she's gotten a lot better. Uh, I mean, she, you know, like she really I turned really... a corner. She played a little bit in New Orleans here and there. But the last year that we were in New Orleans, she really turned a corner where... There was one time she came home and played a tournament and she was in like a six-way chop. And then we played a few tournaments in Mississippi and she like placed in a couple of those. So she was like, she was on kind of a like batting 500 cash streak. And then, um, so we've now been wow. four back four times since. And we are both six, uh, well, we're combined six for 10. We're each three for five getting in the money, including another time wow. where we were both in the chop. Um, so that's been pretty sick. Uh, so we, we were actually thinking about kind of upping our stake because they've started doing a Saturday tournament that's a little higher buy-in. But as a I was going to say, thinking about dropping out of the uh, MFA program no, and not, moving Nothing to, like uh, that yet. It's called the po yeah, Poker exactly. FA. It's a MF Poker. I mean, I was joking with her because it took about. her a while to find a job before she got the, the job that she has now. Um, where she's working remotely on curriculum stuff. But um, but shortly before she got that, I was joking with her. I'm like, you know, you could just make this your part-time job. Like, at the rate you're going. Because, like, that first day with the chop, we made, like, 50 bucks an hour or something. And I'm like, yeah, this is, like, 50 bucks an hour each. So 100 bucks an hour total. And I was like, yeah, this this works. Like, this is this is just fine. Yeah. That's so, doable, yeah. But, yeah, when we you can both be in the chop, like, a couple of times, like, last time... I was the chip leader by like a wide margin and I suggested the chop because Alex was like mm, second to last stack of the people who were left or something. And there were, I think six or seven of us at that point. And they, and like a lot of people were like, wow, you want to chop. All that's right, big... that's great. And I'm like, little do you know, I'm getting double the money. So although people have started, <laughs> I was just about to people ask have that. Do they know that, that so like, are... like it's, we've, we've started going just okay. enough that people are like, Oh, I'm on to you two. Um, but you know, but it also has come with respect because they keep seeing us at the end of the night too. So they're like, Oh, look out. This is, yeah. So it's been, it's been fun. And often like at least half the time, Alex is literally not only like the only woman who cashes, but the only woman in the tournament at all. So, um, that is kind of an interesting wow. novelty factor too. So. Uh, but yeah, that's been that's been a little fun. That's awesome. I feel like this is this is the beginning of like a world right? future story that involves like you know the two of you and this thing. At some yeah. point, I can see that happening. Like just the right. couple of the no, gods, you know, the the, the 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 it's two of spades, really whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's cool. All right. Well then, so so you know, you guys are how are you, Greg? Having what, kids what's and in your life and tournaments. And that's fine. Uh, let's see. Well, I mentioned you know, the exciting thing is the switch. No, um, the, uh, well, the big, uh, actually news, I'm actually looking at Ooh, my band's nice. third album. Uh, the road wow. is released five years later, which just came out, which is an inside joke because, uh, it basically took us that long to make the damn album. Um, but <laughs> we finally got it out and, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's funny cause it's, it's 10 songs. Um, and it is, 
uh, when the last song, the last album that we did came out, first album was just Drift in 2007, and the second was Monomyth in 2010. And so the second album was basically Senevina right. was two, you know. And so this is the first album that she's been old enough to really understand, you know, what was going on when we made it. And so she was like, so, Dad, are these songs... Um, are any of them happy? Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, well, <laughs> I'm like, so we've had a discussion about, you know, the what creates great right. art and under what circumstances, you know, it does this and 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 how sometimes sad stories or sad songs are more um, just more likely to happen uh, as as sort of grist for the mill. And the last few years were kind of a dark place in some ways. And like, I think the songs reflected that, but I mean, not entirely um, just in certain cases, but it was funny to, to sort of, you know, hear this time to, for her to be able to make this commentary about how these things were going and sort of see things on an, uh, on a right. more adult uh, closer to adult anyway, level um, because she's now, by the way, Good. for the record in fifth grade, um, she's in fifth grade and she will be turning 11 in January. So wow. that's a thing. Um, She's yeah, gonna be dating yeah. soon. Um, so yeah, so yeah, <laughs> that's not for a long time. I've got you know what twenty years where I have to worry. About that. I'm just kidding. Um, no, she's she's uh, continues to be amazing and great and all that stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, so so the album is coming out, which is cool. And I have um, I have uh, stuff I can't talk about i have a lot of publishing stuff that i can't talk about because it's all like not quite there yet okay. but soon i hope so cool. that's kind of neat um both on the game side and otherwise hey if um, ross could reveal his and the game stuff style, is going talk about it publishing it. No. yeah i know i know well i wish the problem is i you Wait, know what? then, missed, then when the something. show actually comes I was out dealing with a pizza face what's going on there was pizza in a face um Oh, I, uh, I, uh, you know, I'm nominated for the Peel Tour. No, wow, um, you're not even a journalist. That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, yeah, no, um, no, I was just talking about like publishing stuff that I can't really speak oh, about that yet. Sounds, um, that sounds I can't talk about. That sounds yeah, um, but I, I feel, I feel fairly pleased Good. about the prospects for it. Uh, there is also um, the two other podcasts that I've been involved with for a while. Speculate has become an actual play podcast. So it is now a, ga a game podcast where we have tabletop role-playing games Ooh. with authors um, that we do. Um, and that is now we're in the middle of a Blades in the Dark campaign, which is, for those of you who don't know, Blades in the Dark is kind of like a Ocean's Eleven meets Dishonored. Um, basically, it's... Um, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, I don't know why anyone in the world would ever GM it because I think it's very complicated from a GM point of view. But as a player, I'm just like, sure, I'm happy to talk like Batman and do this a lot. And, you know, I mean, like, I'm happy to, you know, consider myself to be a badass uh, thief type of thing. Um, so um, so we're, we're in the middle of a one shot of that. But I did Eberron before D&D thing. And I'm doing a bunch of campaigns on my channel with authors and otherwise. I actually did a live um, Adventures of Middle Earth campaign from a convention called CanCon in Ottawa last month. So that was fun. I was able to do that with um, with an author and all, you know, all players and friends of mine. One of them, uh, of course, is Trendane, who Russ knows because uh, Trend did uh, voice acting stuff with Russ before. So. Yeah, so you know, keeping on, keeping on. Teaching is uh, teaching has been has been fine. Teaching has been good, um, and uh, had you know, teaching Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter again as usual, and 
that's that's been fun. Uh, I actually had someone who got me a uh, box of oh, really? Ever Flavor beans because yeah. they were in the Harry Potter Those park the and worst. they were they were really excited. So yeah, they got it for me. Yeah, you just have we, to be we really have a careful. jar sitting here in the apartment that's been here for like four years now because nobody will ever eat more than a few before they realize what they've gotten themselves into. They're like. Because it just like doesn't shock. like we have one that has like a guide, earwax, but like that's, yeah, that that's the thing. You need the guide so that you can get the possible good ones. Like you just Alex don't want earwax or anything else. Second in a um, contest of eating and identifying uh, every flavor of beans, and which is like my idea of an actual personal hell. Like having to, and there were like all of these stipulations. Of like you have to like <laughs> eat the whole thing and not have any water, and like do the like have you taken your pill, like show your tongue kind of thing to show that you've gotten it all down. And then you have to guess what it was and identify it. And yeah. She was really good at, can't imagine. Just can't imagine. <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah. Well, if every bean though was cheese, like, you know, yeah. I mean, the problem is like, my, like the worst experiences of my <laughs> life are eating flavors that I don't like. And then these are like designed to be flavors that you don't like. Like, uh, and I find like 90% of, well, not all flavors of them. that people Some of them love are good flavors. to be flavors that I hate and are traumatic to engage with. So it's a really, it's a really dark road for me. <laughs> it's really not a place I want to be. So. <laughs> Well, it's the kind of thing where like you really can't like the way that you want to do it, which is to just try to taste it, even if it's terrible and you taste it and you just kind of you, you, you know, you just you just all in all the time. That's not that, you know, yeah. like that, that you need to you need the guide. You basically need the guide to make it actual function, actually functional. So but it was very nice that uh, this person got this for me. So, yeah, I mean, like I'm, you know, so that's that's been going well. So generally, like on the personal front, you know, things are things are hanging together pretty well and feeling good health wise and feel relieved that the country took a brink back from insanity. It's yeah. only one step. Can, can I took say, a step back. I, I really anyway. admire your restraint. Only one step. I but admire it's your restraint in not talking about politics until this part of the, the podcast, because as we all know, this episode well, won't be released until the presidential election <laughs> of 2020. So it's much more important that we get our life catching up done first. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's yesterday. right. That's right. Well, look, I mean, you know, I, I felt like I, I was a good thing that I didn't have to like avoid talking about it because of like, you know, beginning to look at different places where I could move into cabins in the far north. Um, yeah, like it was uh, it was it was an interesting experience because I don't know if the way it worked for us was that I, I basically watched a little bit. And then as the early returns came in, there was a moment where I made the mistake of going on to daily costs. And this was a mistake because there has never been a larger percentage of Eeyores, I think, that have ever existed than on the left during this thing, where everyone is everyone's suffering from 2016 PTSD. So everyone is like watching the 538 tracker as it's like as the number ticks down from like 80% to control the house down to 52% because they took in like two races that had come in at a certain percentage. And then actually um, Nate Silver posted and said, our model is really way too sensitive. We've discovered um, to these like not even like poll calls, but just like poll re results. And so we're going to put in a conservative model. And everyone's like, well, for those of us who have been hyperventilating for the last two hours, that's appreciated that you just realized this now. And then, of course, what happened when they did that was that it stabilized and went back up to the number and it indeed 
did end up becoming a blue wave and it did end up becoming a huge win for the Democrats, both state legislatures and state Supreme Court. And even the Senate, which initially seemed like it was a disaster. I don't know if you guys heard this, but Kristen Sinema has now taken the lead in Arizona. Um, The uh, Florida recount uh, actually looks like it's more promising than people thought. So in the end, when you're defending, when the Democrats are defending 26 seats and the Republicans nine, and the Democrats may end up losing only two, and those in deep red states, like a net of two, that's pretty goddamn good. Um, that's pretty goddamn good. And it was, so in the end, it was great. Um, but for that first couple hours, it was panic time. It was uh, where, how do I prepare for Canadian citizenship? Um, so fortunately... Sanity was at least, again, it's only one step. There's a long step to go. You don't get out of fascism within a week or a day or a month or a year, but it's one step down a good road. So that was my, that was my experience. That's what I did on my <laughs> summer vacation of watching the returns, the electoral returns. And you guys didn't, I mean, like you're out, obviously you were out in the West Coast where, did you see the Fox's attempt to get you guys to, to get people to stop standing in the polls, by the what? way, in California, where they like called, they called before anybody else. They called that the Democrats are going to win the House literally an hour and a half before there was any reason for them to do oh, that. Man. And of course, the reason Fox is doing that is they're desperately trying to get people yeah. to go home and not be there. Well, yeah, I, I was just waiting for Fox News to tell me whether I should vote <laughs> or not. So I'm glad. That- I know exactly. <laughs> like, I guess the time has come. Oh, man. Did you actually I I did want to bring this up, um, even though we're at the hour mark already, but we can talk about this one thing. So I don't know if you guys saw the uh, the Acosta video conference. Uh, You saw this, the press conference. So where and then he had his press credentials revoked. So for people who don't know what this is. So Jim Acosta, who's a reporter for CNN, uh, was asking Trump, who decided for some reason that he was going to have a press conference where he would pretend that white is black, I guess, because that's him. And so he's up there giving a press conference and Acosta asked him the question like, so do you feel like, you know, what does what does it feel like to basically have taken a huge loss? Because that's what they did. Um, and so Trump is like, I don't, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then he goes on to say, like, you're a terrible person and CNN shouldn't hire you and all these other things that typically he says because he's a subhuman. And then uh, so he's talking about this stuff. But the thing that was amazing was this White House aide comes up and tries to take the mic from Acosta. And so he basically just holds onto the mic. He's like, I'm not going to give you the mic. Like he's not done answering the question, right? And then they revoke his press credentials. And the press secretary, Huckabee Sanders, says, yeah, we after this incident, we're not going to allow him to put his hands on the intern. And they showed that they were circulating a doctored InfoWars video, which showed him pushing her away, which literally, I kid you not, does not have his hands in the video. They doctored in different hands doing something different. Like they showed the side-by-side and the side-by-side shows him holding onto the microphone. That is literally all he does. In this other one, they have like, you know, the meme is like the Emperor Palpatine hands, like comes out with the lightning bolt to shoot the intern. Like this is just unreal, like unreal. That was the part that killed me was the fact that they're like, maybe if we show them the InfoWars video, they won't realize that like- I mean- you know, like this is. What- I agree that it was absurd. It's no, no, I agree that it was absurd, and they shouldn't have circulated that video. But I also think, just based on what actually happened in the room, like they were totally could have revoked his press credential um, because he just refused to. Like, if the president, even if the president is a douche and you don't like him, if the president takes your question, he responds to it, and then he's like, "Next," and then you just keep talking and demand it. And like after several repeated attempts of trying to get a follow-up question, the president's ready to move on. And you're just like, no, I'm going to give a monologue as a journalist from CNN. 
you can't you don't you don't but he didn't answer the question though it he matter. didn't answer it's, the question. He didn't even take matter. it, though. It's the president's press conference. So he answered the first question, and then Acosta's like, I want another question. And Trump's like, I don't like you, no. And then he's like, I'm going to ask it anyway. And at that point, you know, that's how how different is that from somebody so like you, yelling at Obama liar during his State of the Union press conference? It's just like, the guy's the president. Well, because the they, the there union. are rules and there's decorum for a press conference. You don't get to just yell at him because mm-hmm. you have very different politics think- than he does. I guess I don't know, but I don't, I don't think it's about that. I just, I don't, I don't think rules apply to a guy that, that is trying to end the planet. Like, I just don't, I don't think rules, I don't think decorum, I think we're beyond decorum at this point. Like, I, I think a guy, I, would you have shown decorum to Mussolini? Because otherwise I don't, I don't think. I mean, well then, I mean, you have to decide decorum. whether you're a credentialed journalist or whether you're a protester and Jim Acosta is pretending to be a credentialed journalist who works within the system. And so they took away his credential which they was totally within their right but if he wants you know he can certainly be one of the people like sitting on tucker carlson's lawn and yelling at him or doing you know other protest actions like he's welcome to do that Uh, or asking questions like he has a right to do as part of a free press sure but it's not i mean i thought that cnn's response to it was like way overblown because like cnn has other you know correspondents who are in the white house who could be asking questions even if jim acosta never goes back to the white house again it's not like cnn's being shut out but you realize this is like it's yeah but you realize this is unprecedented right like this has never happened like they've literally never revoked a credential on this basis ever in the history of presses or yeah i mean again i think that it was wrong to kind of fudge a reason to do it when they could have just said like if he's not going to follow if he's not going to follow the protocol of the press conference then he gets his credential revoked i think is reasonable to say disagree yeah no i mean i i I agree with both of you i like i think it's i mean it's it's particularly insidious that like they while they haven't explicitly said it this way they are trying to make it like a quasi me too thing of like oh he manhandled this young female intern um that's gross and disgusting i do agree I I saw the video ready to be like I I I heard about the news story long before I saw the video, and I queued up the video ready to be like totally up in arms and outraged on Acosta's behalf, and I was like, oh, Acosta's being a total jackass. Um, so that like in in that sense, I do agree with like I do think that he was i mean he asked a whole second question it wasn't even just like the follow-up to the first one then he's like on a totally different thing whatever and then he just like totally interrupted other people who were trying to ask questions and whatever so i i don't think he did himself any favors but i also find like what they tried to pin him on like totally disingenuous and disgusting so i think they all suck um Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think it's, re- I mean, I, look, I, I'll say that I think it's, if they don't want to, they want to revoke his press credentials, they can do whatever they want. I just, I don't think the press corps should be covering him anyway at this point. I think they should just, you know, like, not be paying attention to anything he does. Mm. Um, Somebody mentioned but, that it was really you know, effective, that that whole thing was really effective on Trump's behalf, because the big story of the day should have been that he fired Jeff Sessions, and instead everybody's talking about Jim Acosta and that nonsense. Because of that, I guess, but I think that I think at that point there, I think people were sort of watching and like the whole thing kind of was combined in people's head. Like the the thing is that the sort of visceral dislike, except among you know among his 
his cult. But the visceral dislike is so extreme at this point that pretty much anything he does immediately, people are just like, yeah, because he continues to not do anything that is worthy of approval ever. So like they just he's it's funny, too, because it's hard. You know, typically you figure that there's something where someone can say something, but literally everything he does is horrific. And so there's, there's just no I, I don't know. I just feel like they're in general. There's just such a general like shut up, shut up, hate you, hate you, hate you, leave, 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 leave. Like every every time he says anything, because that's that's what he deserves. And I think that as a consequence, like this, I think people are have woken up to some of the insidious nature of how the media operates. Again, leaving aside his his shrinking, dying cult. And I feel like that's probably a good thing. It's just not worth all the pain that people have gone through. Since we are now, let's be clear, 101 days past the uh, legally mandated order for him to reunite the families that he ripped apart at the border, um, as just an example of one of 750 atrocities that he commits on a daily basis. And like that, that you know, so there's just, I, I feel like people, It's it was like, it wasn't worth all this pain, but at the very least, the benefit of the pain is that people are now like, hey, you are a nightmare and, you, uh, you know, everything I mean, you, you know, do, hate. My, my broad so, opinion on this, which is that the primary offense that Trump has committed is that he lacks the decorum and dignity of a typical president and does, you know, 75% of the stuff he does is just standard American president stuff, but he is terrible at putting a presidential face on anything that he does because he's capricious and, and he whiny and emotional yeah, but... and he sounds very, very unpresidential. But like his policy actions are consistent with like any Republican president ever. Um, so I think that mostly people are just offended by him personally. And then they take that to mean that we're living in the apocalypse when the policies are just like, mm. yeah, these Mitt Romney would do most of this stuff, but he would, you know, mm. oh, God, no, dude. More I'm going to push back so hard on this. No, I'm going to push back so hard. That's so not accurate at all. <laughs> There's never been, there has never been a situation where literally thousands of people seeking asylum are put in cages and ripped apart, except the 1930s when we did it to Japanese Americans. Like this well, is that's not, not true. I mean, in the 1950s, procedures. didn't we like inject people in Central or South America with like venereal diseases because we wanted to see what would happen? And that was just part of thousands well, of them. whatever it was the cia and, and it was seekers. clandestine but it was you know it wasn't it wasn't part but, of the 24-hour news cycle back then but we did horrible things uh, all continuously not that, not like these, we, we we burned down whole numbers, countries man. in south america because we were supporting like banana companies like we, we've done horrible things for, for decades not, and not decades worse things than we're doing now they just weren't as publicized they weren't as readily available um people didn't the, the news system not these I numbers mean, Disagree. They're not not these numbers. The, the that's the problem is that yes, we did. A, we've done an incredible amount of bad stuff. Not this bad at this level. At I mean, most intensity. statistics it's say that in general, in general, the world is a more prosperous and proportionally safer place than it's ever been. The problem is, is that we are aware of everything, every atrocity that happens everywhere in the world all the time because of the internet. So the perception is that we're living in the worst time ever, but. In reality, we, it's safer and more prosperous. Well, I wouldn't say that we're living in the a worst lot of people time think that, ever, though, but who it, don't have a sense well, of history and historical context. Um, I was watching uh, uh, Dana Carvey. This is not at, decorum. That's all I'm going to say. This is just not decorum. Well, sure. I mean, there are policy choices too, but they don't—they're not like wildly different than 
standard Republican policy choices. They're, they're wildly different. No, they're wildly different. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I was watching Dana Carvey do stand up at Flappers, and he was talking about how all his friends are freaking out, and they're like, "This is the worst time ever. It's the worst time ever." And they have like an iPhone in one hand and a latte in the other hand, telling him that. And it was, that was just a great way to yeah, encapsulate his argument, which is like these people who are living like incredibly affluent and stable lives are just like revolted at what they see on the TV every day, but their lives are they're safe and they they're successful and they're fine. Well, he's got Dana Carvey's got to go get more more friends of color then, because that's not what the friends of, that's not what the people of color are saying. The affluence. I don't think is, the people of color would say I, that I, it's the worst time ever for them either. Well, they'd say it's a lot worse than the privileged white comedians like Dana Carvey would. I'm I'm sorry, man. I just I completely I could not disagree more. I just could not disagree. I just don't think that's borne out by reality at all. Um, and I think that there's a misunderstanding, which I'm a little surprised you're making. There's a misunderstanding in believing that because people have capitalist goods, that therefore that means that somehow equates to better existences. Like, well, I, no, I just, sure. I mean, people are what? depressed. Like, I mean, partially, I think the internet is responsible for that, which is, and I think also partially the reason that younger college age students are like, whether they're more quiet or more sensitive or more careful, it's because they basically have PTSD from being hyper aware of everything that goes on in the world at all times, which our brains aren't built to do. And so they've, they've had to mm -hmm. basically be born into that world and they have no, you know, we have a window into what that wasn't like while we were still forming our emotions. So sure. we have a different way of processing it. But I think that's part of it is just that we're just hyper aware of everything going on. We don't have enough empathy to share amongst every single tragedy that we hear about on a daily basis. And so people just get fried in general. And then, you know, part of that is being triggered by, by various things and all that stuff. I think some of that's true. I, I would agree with you on some of that. I just, I just think this is not, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with you to a point uh, about that, but I think that part of it is being driven by what they see as real sort of real concerns about the way that things are being presented and handled. Um, I mean, I think that in general, I think the, I mean, it's funny because I just, I, I just literally a few hours ago got done teaching to Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. And one of the interesting things about that book is the way in which uh, Philip Dick focuses on this concept of a society that where everything is driven by empathy and so few actual things within it demonstrate empathy. Right. It's all ersatz empathy. It's all fake empathy. It's all, you know, uh, electric animals and uh, mercerism, which is kind of a pseudo religious cult nonsense. And this, you know, talk show host guy, Buster Friendly and like everything is fake empathy. Everything is. And then there's a couple of examples of real empathy. Um, and that real empathy is to be valued and sort of uplifted and cherished. Um, and yet that sort of thing ends up kind of falling into the wash of the rest of the fake empathy. And so distinguishing the true from the false becomes the real kind of process. And anyway, it, it was definitely resonating with my students who I think in general, <clears throat> I think there are a lot, I, I don't get the sense of them as being quiet and disconnected. I think they're more engaged, but then they're, you know, <clears throat> I mean, they're in a, they're in a metropolitan area and they're in a relatively, I mean, it's there, it's not necessarily affluent, but it is a private school. And so maybe there's a, I don't know, but I mean, like it, I, I get the sense that they're, they get what's going on here, um, which is positive. I've always felt positive about 
about young people and about the future. The issue is whether the old people will get, I feel like story saying this, whether the old people will get the hell out of the way in time for the young people to take over. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's a, that's, that's the question, but I think, you know, maybe uh, it's possible. All we need to do is just unite as long as story can win more <laughs> poker tournaments and establish himself. He and Alex is the poker winning couple. Then he can establish a base of power in West Virginia. So um, you can be the first yeah. long haired, uh, you know, poker player to win West Virginia Senate, you know, for probably ever. I think that I, I see positives there. There's a great uh, YouTube video that I highly recommend from my favorite uh, YouTube channel, which is called Wisecrack, which is like a philosophy. It's a pop culture and philosophy centric channel. And it tries to explain the subcontext and the, the basis of, um, you know, like Marvel movies or, uh, um, whatchamacallit, uh, the cartoon that I love that's based on Back to the Future, Rick and Morty. Um, they did a video on the nature of reality um, and how reality has become like wrestling in which people like Donald Trump will basically present a facade as true and everyone kind of knows it's a facade, but at the same time, um, they never own up to the fact that it's not true. Um, but it's not like Donald Trump created that or that wrestling created that. It's just part of how people interact with the world now is they present their own version of reality and then people kind of pick and choose which realities they like, as opposed to trying to determine like what's objectively true or whether facts matter, that sort of thing. I thought it was really fascinating. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And the idea of sort of selecting the reality you want, um, as you know, Facebook and Fox news and places like that demonstrate, um, and, you know, as I just as I just talked about, and if you're not careful, the sort of daily costs bubble of, oh, my God, we're all doomed, you know, because the first 10 minutes, the 538 tracker is down to 52 percent. Like that's all <laughs> that's all. Those are all very bad bubbles um, to, to get stuck in. And they're sort of choosing your reality that you feel more comfortable about. So, yeah, it's true. A lot of it is going to be about um, teaching people to assess, you know, teaching people to assess reality. Um because, you know, we have more information available to us now in a smartphone than has been possessed by literally any person in the history of the planet for the seven, you know, several thousand years previous. Um, and that's an extraordinary amount of stuff that needs to be sort of conceptualized, you know, just having this amount of information available to you um, and then being able to add your own information in some cases. So that's, yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um and we are about ready to wrap up, but the story, you've been quiet. <laughs> Just emulating my students. No, um, yeah, I mean, I, I am more optimistic about information than I feel like you guys are, mostly because of my re disparate relationship with Facebook, but... Um, <laughs> that's true you are the most like most oh yeah optimistic no Facebook i mean i love I, <laughs> I love facebook facebook i you know i just people i don't know increasingly like it's hard to have the real life community and facebook for me at least provides access to at least a pretty reasonable simulation of a real life community that does involve real people they're just not right in front of you and that's fine so i don't know um, I just, uh, you know, it's like the nets on, uh, in Ender's game, right? Like the nets where there's like serious intellectual discussion that, yep. you know, in that it ends up like changing the whole world, which is a little naive and optimistic, but, um, but it's, or the whole universe or the whole galaxy, I guess, but it's kind of a similar concept. You just put out 
what you think and what you believe and subject it to the marketplace of ideas. And uh, for the most part, people are pretty reasonable. And yeah, it's pretty great. So yeah, you live in a utopia. It is pretty fun. It's, it's your marketplace of ideas. It's so funny, though. Like, I always remember what Russ said about it, which is like you have this like Shangri-La of Facebook marketplace that is just so much better than any other Facebook marketplace I've ever. Like, I actively think Facebook oh, should many be shut down do, and eliminated yeah. because it's so destructive. And you're like, and you're like Shangri-La. And I'm, I'm not oh, saying sure. Shangri-La like you're being La La Land. I'm saying like it's just so different. Well, and I'm like, wow, that's better than so not my experience ever. It's it's a created reality, so I must have created it for myself. So, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, good reality. I man. don't know. It's funny, you know, Alex and I were talking about this the other day. She's like, do you know how long it's been since I've seen something political on my Facebook? Like, all I see are babies and pets because that's what I click like on. And I'm like, yeah, that's wow. your Facebook. And all I ever see is political posts because that's all I talk about and get people going on. And, like, like the other day she was, like, debating about whether or not to jo- vote for Joe Manchin. And she said, like, I would post this, but then I'd get five people and a baby picture, like, responding, like, can you post it? And then there will be like 30 people who have been involved in debate or politics, like arguing very in very like detail about whether I should do this or not, which is the discourse that I want. And I was like, sure. So I posted it and tagged her and like 37 people respond. And I'm like, there you go. Huh? Did you get a baby picture? No, no. Did you baby. get a baby picture yeah. also? Did you get a baby picture? Okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. I just want yep. to see. So yeah. Want so sure. I don't know. Reality is what you, is what, what you put in for the first time. In the history of the world, Facebook has actually created that what you get back is what you put out, and vice versa. That's my Unless that's my moment of zen Burma. for you to, to close. On. Isn't Burma the place where they're blaming <laughs> Facebook for like genocide and ethnic cleansing and stuff? Yeah, like but it, it, in 1994 in Rwanda, they used radios for the same thing, right? Like it's it's literally just a communication tool, right? It is like it is. We should just... have burned all of our radios. Who needs those things? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Like that's, I mean, I like I I get I can get a little heated about this sometimes because people are like, did you know that when groups of hateful people get together and communicate, they do hateful things? And I'm like, yeah, Facebook did not invent communication. I understand it's gotten dominant enough; it's the only way you can imagine connecting or communicating with other people. But like, this is not. Oh no, not me. This is not what happened. Like literally, that's what they were saying in Burma. They were like. They traded lies and communicated and generated. And, like, sure, no doubt that it was accelerated, perhaps, by Facebook, that what took, you know, six or 12 hours might have taken up to six days. But that's because, like, Burma was previously not very technologically connected. Like, it has nothing to do with the actual nature of Facebook. It has to do with the nature of communication and people's willingness to be taken in by lies or lies that they secretly want to believe. But again, like Rwanda in 1994 had less technology than we can possibly imagine. And they achieved the same thing in a breathtakingly scary time frame that was actually on a much greater scale than Burma. So part of it is that they it's you you have an entity that you can blame for these things because there's a company running it. Like, can you imagine if everyone blamed Marconi for every for Clear Channel because it happens on the radio and he invented the radio? No, I think that's exactly right. I think it's that because it's a corporate entity, and, and that's the other thing, is the other set of critiques that happens with Facebook that happened a lot, like when Zuckerberg was going before Congress and all this stuff, people were like, how are you defending, like, letting a company do this, da 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 And it's like, this is just capitalism. Like, yes, one company happened to do it very successfully and get very powerful, 
But like all of the objections you're t trying to raise are things that we would never subject any other company to because we, we let companies rule our society because that's the value structure and the ethos that we've decided on for this period of time after the financial crisis. So like, why is Facebook being singled out or treated differently than another company? Now, I would turn that argument to say like, yes, Facebook and every other company should be treated very differently and we should regulate all of them to the hilt. But like the idea that you're picking out, they're like, Facebook will sell you ads because they're trying to make money and they let your ads be really effective because they're trying to make money. And I'm like, in fairness, they also lie completely about the fact that they were taking data that they claimed they weren't. I mean, in fairness, let, let's be clear. It's not just that they're the biggest. It's that they actively, steadily, and repeatedly, and, you know, maliciously in the worst way, lie like a rug. I mean, all companies have problems this way, but Facebook, like, monetized their lying. I mean, like, I mean, in, every in fairness, I, I don't mean Facebook to, you know, I mean, I, I'm the quote unquote breach of information that you publicly put on your profile on as set to public. And they've called this a data breach, which is totally disingenuous. So like, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, in fairness, I don't go on Facebook. I have only gone on Facebook for like once a month now, but still, um, that's why you never just, saw my uh, bug commercial. <laughs> that's why you didn't know I had done the, Uber that's right. I don't. Like yeah. Because well, we've had this. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right. I know that. We've had this comment before where you were like, I did this. I'm like, what? Know. I'm like, yeah. like oh, yeah. yeah, no. Uh if if you were if this was a Twitter thing, I probably yeah, would have seen it. Um uh, but Facebook, I was like, what? I don't get Twitter. Twitter really does seem like a cesspool of hate to me. That's but I love Twitter. My Twitter it's feed's so all just it's the so perfect stream of information that I like. Yeah. How did we do this the opposite way? I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say I love Twitter, but I think it's a lot less uh, potentially if, problematic. If so, it's than because Facebook it's a less effective. Media but I, but <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's just bad at doing maybe, what it's trying to do. Maybe. I, I mean, that's my experience with Twitter. I Interesting. I don't get it. Either way, this is stuff that I actually find is really interesting and we should talk more about it, but not now, not in the show, because we have reached the ridiculous 90-minute well, mark or something crazy. Every nine um, months. Give so, what they want. <laughs> so it's a longer show, you know, it's like, well, hopefully, I mean, you know, our hope is that we will be able to get in another show before the end of the year. I mean, it is early November, so that's not out of the realm of possibility that we'll be able to get another one in. But you've gotten another one from us uh, and hopefully more to come. So if you have thoughts about Facebook and uh, Twitter and, um, you know, Toyota commercials and uh, crazy people that, you know, leave stories, West Virginia program and uh, why the Nintendo Switch is good, then you should definitely get in touch with us and check us out at MetReport.com where we have been now for uh, 13 years, like this 2005 we started, I think, right? So 13 years of bringing you podcasts Donna. like this on, on a regular basis. I couldn't say that with a straight face, but you know, um, bringing you podcasts on an occasionally and always, we hope, awesome basis. So um, yeah, check us out and let us know. Please uh, invade Story's Facebook space so that he knows that it's not always the Shangri-La that we wanted and yes, come give him a dose of reality. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, by the way, uh, no one brought this up, but I also have to say uh, Red Sox World Series champions. So goodbye, everybody. Well, the last time I saw old man, he knew him. Da -da 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 -da. He was chasing a female he knew him. Da -da 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 -da. As he shot past, I heard him say, She can't fly, but I'm telling you, she could run the pits of a kangaroo. 
She got blood, but I'm telling you, she could run the pants of a kangaroo. Well, there is a moral to this ditty, um, ba da 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 da. Frost can sing, but he ain't pretty, um, ba da 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 da. Duck can swim, but he can't sing, nor can the eagle on the wing. Emu can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can round the pants of a kangaroo. Well, the cooker bar laughed and he said, It's true, um, ba da 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 da. Ah! 